I need people to know it's okay to fall down. I don't care how many times you fall down. I fall down all the time. What I care about is how many times you get up. What I care about is if you've done your three rules, my three rules are simply this. No lies, no excuses, and never quit. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect. How obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy Episode 67. Today, I welcome Tony Drees to the podcast. Tony is a Desert Storm Purple Heart amputee. 30 years ago, Tony survived the deadliest gun missile attack of the Iraq War. 28 soldiers perished. 54 of 68 people from his unit were wounded. He survived, but his right leg was severely damaged. He also felt guilty for living. At that time, he was told that the best option would be an amputation at the hip. He said no. While he underwent more than 50 surgeries, he was able to run out of the hospital. After leaving the hospital, was able to successfully work in sales. He got married, became a father. He unfortunately struggled with alcohol and opiate addiction, and then got sober. He had several bouts of infection to his right leg, and it just wouldn't heal. Ultimately, he developed cancer from the chronic infection, squamous cell cancer. He was told that if he did not undergo an amputation, he would die. He chose life. This was around his 50th birthday. He was talking to his son, about skiing. He had skiing on his mind. And in 2018, he took up skiing on one leg. Initially, the rehab window was about nine months. And he finished his rehab in four. Even with his leg gone, he had a duty to serve. The feeling of guilt for surviving during the Iraq war drove him to achieve high goals. He always had the model, do me. In doing so, he focused on his goals and high aspirations. He, in his work, is always seeking to inspire people through his many feats. He speaks to a diverse audience. After seeing him, they say, wow, people always internally and externally compare themselves to the one-legged person. It motivates them to do better, to be better. His next big challenge, actually I'll wait till I interview him so you can hear about his next challenge. His life is inspiring in so many ways. So let's get started. We cannot wait to share this guest with you. Well, thanks for joining me today. Welcome to Running It's Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Hi, my name is Tony Dries. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule to talk to me today. I would like to start by talking about your time in the U.S. Army Reserves and how you initially injured your leg. That's a great question. The beginning of my story was in 1990, after having served four years in the Army. I was in college in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Okay. Uh, the Ranger Challenge uh, team, we were a competitive team that did the things that we do in the Army, like uh, weapons assembly, one-rope bridges, PT tests, ruck runs, all these things for time and for competition while going to ROTC. My goal was to return to the Army after I finished college as a helicopter pilot and as an officer. In 1991 and late in 1990, George Bush declared war on Iraq. And so I went from being what we consider an inactive reserve, meaning I had completed the active portion of my six-year commitment, and then I was serving out the inactive portion 
when we got reactivated, which is what it's designed for, so that we could augment our forces to go to war. I went to the Gulf War, gosh, I want to say January of 1991. I was there for, uh, I went back to the Army. I went to war probably January, uh, February 15th. The reason why I know February 15th, because I was only in state for about nine days, when on February 25th, 1991, my building was struck with the deadliest Scud missile of the Iraqi war. Mm. We had 28 service members, and a lot of them were reservists, and uh, they were from uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, as we shared the same building. And of the 64 people they brought, 58 of them were injured or killed. So that's how I initially injured my, my leg. I was in a building that got struck with a bomb, and it was close to me, close enough to me that a projectile went through the top of my right leg, mm-hmm. blew through, and it blew off the backs of both my legs. But initially, the Army doctors said that they wanted to amputate my leg at the hip. Mm-hmm. Three years old, I had just come from doing all this hardcore competition stuff, all this Army stuff. I couldn't see it. I told them no. Okay. They didn't really have a plan B, but they said that they heard of therapy working. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. And so 58 surgeries and nine months later, I jogged out of the hospital. You jogged? Yes, ma'am. That's impressive. For, I also want to say I'm sorry for your loss of your um, servicemen. And I just want to say thank you for your service. My dad was in the military for 22 years. And I appreciate all you got to do to, to keep our country safe. Thank you for that. And thank you for being a military, what we call a military brat. That's a difficult, it's a special lot in life that can be a military brat. I'm one myself. So I appreciate it. So after your 58 surgeries and you got out the hospital and you you were doing uh, working sales and got married, had kids. And uh, what happened after that as far as, as your leg? After my 30th high school reunion a couple of years back, I think it was 2015, just for no reason, I felt not well. I would like mysteriously lose like nine pounds or mysteriously lose 11 pounds. And I keep, I'm an athlete. I keep my body dialed in. Um, and so the long and short is through 2016 to 2018, I had six more surgeries. Was it infection? Yeah. Bloat infection, bone infection, and some other stuff. And then initially, and then eventually I got cancer. Then the cancer was related to the chronic infections? Yes, ma'am. And frankly, one of the doctors decided unilaterally it was time to close my leg when we agreed that he was just going to clean it. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, you killed me, man. And, well, he didn't leave no place for the infection to drain. And then I got squamous cell carcinoma in my leg as a result. And so the second time I got squamous cell, so remember having surgeries in between this, then there was no option. So in February of 2018, this would be 27 years. And, and I'm 16 days away from being 28 years. The amount of people that passed in my, in my building. I had to get my leg cut off at the hip February 9th. I almost made it to 28 years, and it was an incredible 28 years. Mm-hmm. So how did you feel when they told you that you needed to get your leg amputated at the hip? The first, the, the most poignant part of that is they said, You've got to get your leg cut off if you want to live. And I heard if I cut my leg off, I get to live. Okay. Okay. Did you hear the difference? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big difference. It's a huge difference in mindset and everything else. So I'm in my, that was right after my 50th birthday. I got my leg cut off for my 50th birthday, basically. And so at that age, they, and the, the seriousness of the amputation, they suggested it would take me anywhere up to a year to recover. Okay. So let you know, I've had 74 surgeries now. My total number is 74. And after the amputation, four years and two months afterwards, I was out traveling, speaking, and doing my thing again. I read that following your initial injury that you felt guilty for living and used that as motivation. And how did that motivate you? We call it survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. And so personally, and especially when I was much younger and probably less mature emotionally and, and probably psychologically, I really did feel a, a tremendous amount of guilt. And that manifests itself in me doing some destructive behaviors, drinking, partying, whatever, just not taking things seriously. Mm-hmm. So there was a point, I was young then, 
there was a point shortly after that, after I kind of got my stuff together, then not only I didn't feel a guilt anymore, I just took it as an internal motivation or eternal like fire that's lit in me. When people see my life, they say, well, Tony, you live larger than life. They don't understand I'm trying to live a life of 28 people, live a life of 28 souls. I'm trying to live a life that 28 different families would look at and say, that's at least respectable. I didn't waste it. I take some lofty challenges upon, I guess. I, I never think about it that way. It turns out that way in the end, and I'm just like, oh, it's fine. I wind up, uh, I swing for the fences a lot because I feel there's no way I can lose. And I have only everything to gain. So during some of your, your downtimes, you said that you did some things such as drinking. How did you, I guess, get over the down times, those humps? Did you counseling? Was it family support, support from other veterans? How did you kind of work your way out of the dark place? That's what we call that. Thank you for saying the dark place, Dr. Brown. I was just going to say the, the downtimes. Yeah, we call it the dark place. And when you get in a dark place, it's scary because it's it's like a it's like it's lined with glass. And so, yes, I did try uh, medicine. Keep in mind that I've had so many surgeries. I've never been one that likes medicine. So, like, I don't generally even take aspirin. I don't I don't generally take anything. A because I don't prefer it. And B I need to leave something in case something terrible happens to me, so it will work. Mm-hmm. And so, the thing that really gave me the most connection was outdoor rec. Okay. I'll give you a specific example. March of 1992, the DAB flew me and several other vets out to Snowmass, Colorado for a disabled veterans winter sports club. Okay. Ever been to Colorado? And it was Colorado in the March where it was like 50 degrees. We were snowing, snowmo- or uh, skiing, snowmobiling, skeet shooting, scuba diving. They were golfing. I was... I was done. I was like, this is me. I moved to Colorado. Like I've been here ever since. Okay. Okay. And so that's the impact that outdoor rec had on me. It was uh, strong enough uh, resonance with me that it, it made me change my place of residence. To start. Okay. 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 And so then uh, some of the first people I hung out with while I was here were veterans. And what we did is uh, we were taking classes during the day and we were golfing in the afternoon. And so it just kind of started that I, I wind up, um, I think what you, who you hang around is who you become. And so I've always had this like closet athlete in me. I was wearing suits and stuff. You don't get it when you're smiling and doing whatever and you're proficient at it. People think they, they sometimes cast you in that. They think that's all you are. Mm-hmm. And so during my career as a two-legged person, I took that seriously enough that when I was 37, I weighed 202 pounds. I bench pressed 505 pounds. That's two and a half times my body weight. And so it was that kind of stuff that I was doing clandestinely. And so in terms of my esteem, I knew I was a beast. When I got my leg cut off, Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to either look at it as an awful, terrible thing that's going to be an obstacle and a barrier for the rest of my life. Or I get to look at how do I rate on this side? How do I rate? With these folks out here, the sports that we do at the level that my friends and I do, mm-hmm. gosh, people don't have any idea. Like they just, and I'm, I feel blessed because a couple of years ago I was on this side and then now I'm on this side and I get to be, I don't want to say the poster child, but I represent all the obstacles, all the barriers. I'm black. I'm over 50. I got one leg. So in your when you hear a skier or a freestyle skier, you don't think of those things. With them come other barriers, financial barriers, access barriers. And in the same package, I represent what's possible. All the successes that could happen in spite of those things. And so that's what my whole mission is about access. It's about access. And I have the opportunity to make the conversation of access. It's not just about mobility. It's not about color. It's, it's about whatever it is that's a barrier for us as a people getting along and reaching our highest capacity. And so I'm here to use my channel, my athletic prowess, my uniquely individual whatever it is 
And those boxes that I check by being brown and being one leg and being a veteran and all those other. Mm-hmm. So I take those and push them past what people think is possible. And then they want to stop and have a conversation. We win. We all win when that happens. That's very inspirational. And your story kind of resonates with me because I started running because I was depressed after my mother died with breast cancer. And it, that's why my book's called Running is Cheaper Than Therapy. I, I ran to kind of help to lose weight, but it became a mental release. It became part of my therapy. I still had to have professional therapy and a lot of our society gives a negative connotation to when people have mental health challenges, when people go through depression, when people go through life challenges and have to deal with grief, they think we should just get over it. But if you had a a broken leg, if you had a heart condition and you saw a professional, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know why there's a stigma about seeking mental health and it's not always as easy as getting over it. Cause even today, you know, my mother's been gone since 2008. Some days, it's like she was gone yesterday. So it's like, well, I think we as a society need to give people grace and ourselves grace too when people go through things. And the fact that you are living your life and being outdoors, and I love being outdoors because it, it really is therapy. It really, especially being on the mountain, there's something about it. You can't even put in the words what it gives to you. Um, and I remember seeing you at the summit and I was thinking, he's amazing. He is doing it out here with one leg and it inspired me to go hard that day. I've been having issues with my knee, but I'm like, if he can do it, I know I can go out here and put in some work today. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, and thank you for that. I want you to know what you said, first of all, about professional therapy, like we're athletes. And so it's nothing for us if we had to go get a professional trainer, or if we had to go get a dietitian, or if we had to go get a foot specialist for our shoes, to a podiatrist to get our shoes dialed in as, as, as runners or whatever. Why wouldn't we take care of the most important element of us as athletes, which is right here? Mm-hmm. Then the next thing you said um, about a skiing at the summit, that was amazing. Yes. That's what I get to do with my life. My three words are inspire. So if you see me skiing on one leg and I'm generally jumping or I'm generally flying. Mm-hmm. Right? So I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from care your age. I don't care any of those factors of the boxes you check off demographic. Something about it will make you go, oh my God. <laughs> Inspiration. That's what I get to I get to do that. What you just said is then you start the person that's inspired, they start thinking in their heads, the least I could do is blah blah blah. Whatever their blah 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 is, they've seen me, that's motivation. The last thing that they feel compelled to do anything, and if given a chance to speak with me, I will compel them to do what they like to do harder, and that's influence. And so with my life, I've been able to inspire, motivate, and influence. So I do these physical feats because I know they look crazy on one leg. I know, even as a two-legged person, some of the stuff I do, people be like, oh, wow. And I do that because I want people to go <gasps> and have that moment. In this world, it's so divisive. People are trying to tear us apart and trying to garner or control the narrative that they feed us through the media. Do you to your capacity and help somebody on the way. So not only do I say don't do harm, man, use your thing that you're really great at. You've been doing podcasts for six years. Oh, no. This would be my second year in October. Second year. But I looked at all your episodes, and what I thought about it, I was like, I appreciate a person that takes their passion and uses it to help others. So you're never selling out. What am I doing? I'm skiing all day, but I'm raising awareness. I'm raising, I'm a pathfinder for black skiers, black athletes, adaptive athletes, warriors, purple heart, but right? Like I just, all the boxes and I checked them. Mm-hmm. But mostly when it gets down to it, then you do. It's pretty dope, right? Like, Yes, it's, it's it's great. It's a great feeling. You're doing what you love, and then you're helping other people at the same time. So tell me about your first day on skis, That the feeling. First day ever or first day on one leg? First day on one leg. Okay. Let me tell you first day ever, ever first. Okay, okay. I think you'll get a kick out of it since you ski. So I'm in the Army. We're in Germany. These guys in a different company, but like across the street from us. 
they are going on this trip, on this bus trip to go skiing. I didn't know anything about it. I'm walking by, but one of their guys can't go. So it could blow the whole trip in terms of financial investment, right? I can never ski. I'm from North Dakota. I'm like, I've never seen a ski. I'm like, yep, I'll go. So we're riding on this gondola. And I am excited. I, this is going to be the coolest thing. I'm athletic. I got it. It's no problem. But this is a, quite an adventure. And so we pulled on this big double-decker bus parked by this huge lake. And it's important, the huge lake and the big double-decker bus. Because about eight minutes of riding up the gondola, we passed like a mountain goat. And some. And we are going into the clouds. And I turned around and looked back. And that huge lake looked like a postage stamp. And I couldn't see the bus. They looked like ants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sinking into me like oh how are we supposed to get down <laughs> never talked about that and so I get up my guys are excited these guys are skiers they're avid skiers they're clipped in they're like deuces oh, whoa, 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 whoa. hey okay all you do is this is what they give me a block of instruction all you do is they say a couple of things and they're gone mm-hmm. I'm standing there with my skis on not doing anything, and also when I took that away. Mm-hmm. The only thing that stopped me was a snow fence. You need to take lessons. You hadn't done this before. <laughs> I'm looking down the snow fence, down the sheer cliff. And I was like, that's it. I cut my stuff off, rolled the gondola down, and I went to lessons for a week straight. That was my first experience on skis. My next experience um, as a beginner would be in, I got amputated in February of 2018. So in October, I I took my, or November, uh, October, I signed up. In November, I took my first ski lessons at Ignite Adaptive in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. At El- Eldora. And the first day, man, it was weird. The worst part was being on the dang magic carpet. It was windy up there. You'd be on the magic carpet. All of a sudden, and here I go, I just tipped over. And this mm-hmm. little kid came over and sprayed me with snow. And he's like, why'd you fall off that thing? I was like, man. So my motivation for getting good was inspired by some little whippersnapper kid that got me all snowy because I didn't want to ride the magic carpet anymore. So I was skiing day one, man. I had to ski. Oh, you got off the magic carpet day one. You're like, okay. I had to get off the magic carpet. I couldn't do it. It, it, was, it was hard on me. This, this is my fourth season. Um, okay. Just fourth. Okay. I got some fun stuff coming up for my fifth season. I see. I have heard that, which we'll talk about in a minute. What was the most challenging part of skiing with one leg, would you say, compared to skiing before? Trying to be on the inside edge because there's no leg, other leg, uphill leg, mm-hmm. and enough to do it with my outriggers off the ground. It seems like it's against physics, but it's actually, it is physics. Pretty hard to turn your self-preservation off on that one. Do some athletes ski with the prosthesis? Yes. And what I would say about a prosthetic is the lower the amputation, i.e. the closer to the foot, mm-hmm. the more it's an advantage to them. Okay. Us. My amputation is all the way at the hip. And so I don't even have a stump or anything to comfortably wear a prosthesis. So to give you a point of reference, if I wear my prosthetic and I walk one mile, it will take me an hour. If I use my crutches, I can do three miles in one hour. And if I do my wheelchair, I can do 11 miles in one hour. Okay. And so the weight of my prosthesis is the same weight as my wheelchair. So I'd rather take my wheelchair and go 11 miles an hour than take that heavy thing. Okay. That makes sense. I heard you have a saying of, do me. Basically, share how freeing your life is. And how changing it can be just doing yourself and just being you. Can you explain that? Yes, ma'am. I spent a large part of my life working for corporate. I was a sales guy, sales trainer, sales manager. Um, I was really good at sales. The thing about sales is it requires a lot of you, a lot of your time, a lot of your talent. Like To be great at it, you really have to study it. You have to study people. You have to study the product. You have to study the industry. You have to understand trends. If you know the business, it helps. Um, and then plus being out there enough to have the opportunities to connect with people. It gave me a great deal of confidence. It gave me, I, I made good money. What I 
sold for that was my time. My time for my family, my time for myself, my time from the other pursuits in life I could have been doing. When it was time to be amputated, I knew I was going to have an abundance of time. Even prior to that, like when I was sick, I had never been sick before. I mean, I had been injured, but I would never been sick. So here I am walking around looking normal and feeling miserable. I, like, I had cancer. And I knew that I was going to have some time. Some like some real time. And I just I, I think of it like how I th- think later of COVID. I was like, man, I don't want to be the same person on the other side of this as I was coming in. So I will dedicate my time to do whatever I need to learn to be a person I need to be on the other side. And that's where do me comes in because for the most part, I have my time back. I own my time. I do what I want. I don't know how to tell you how liberating that is. And I was a, I was a high, high performer. And to shift mindsets alone is so liberating. It is. I can't relate, but it is. <laughs> Grinding, that's the thing. It's really the truth. And I was a grinder. And I would go out there, um, honestly, ma'am, I'd go out there 16, 14, 18 hour days and go get it again and again and again. I did my master's at night. I have four kids. I was married. I worked. I worked out in the mornings. So I, and I would go get it, go get it and stay after it. I was after my bag. I was after my education. I was giving my kids opportunities. And it was just go, 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 go. Right. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And yeah. And then being present wasn't really a thing because the what's next is always the most prevalent thing instead of what's now. And now I get to enjoy what's now. What am I going to do? I don't even know where I'm going to ski tomorrow. Yeah, because I don't worry about it. How am I going to feel? That's which one of the four mountains I might ski. Okay. What what four mountains do you ski usually? Uh, I live by Aspen and Snowmass. Snowmass, uh, Buttermilk, Aspen Highlands, and then Aspen Mountain. Season three, we will continue the new segment called As the Dub. If you have any questions related to musculoskeletal injuries or musculoskeletal health, go to my website, www.weouilife.com, click on the tab voicemail, leave your voicemail, and select messages will be aired and answered on the segment. Now, back to the show. And you mentioned that you have inspiration or desire to share your story with a diverse audience. And I read that you are, um, I don't know if you still are, but diversity and inclusion leadership team member of Move United, which basically provides um, access equal access in sports. Yes. Um, thank you for asking that. Uh, my role with Move United, uh, first of all, first and foremost, I'm a warfighter ambassador. I'm a veteran and I'm an athlete. And I represent the largest international adaptive sports organization, which is Move United. Okay. okay. Many of the events we see um, that are adaptive events, Move United sponsors them or sanctions that gives them the rules, gives them the funding, whatever. That they are the industry uh, leader in terms of adaptive sports. I happen to be on their uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion leadership team as well. And, and so, in terms of a diverse audience, I don't know. It kind of takes me back to that uh, inspiration, motivation, and influence. Because if I go set out to only influence Black people. That's not to my full capacity, and and I don't know that I, I don't feel like that's um, best use of it. If I only went out to uh, impact males, or if I only went out to impact veterans, or I went to Purple Heart veterans, or whatever, and so what those things are about uh, divisiveness and exclusion, and so my deal is not; it's the opposite, mm-hmm. because my life story is not about me. I'm a character in it. I'm just a vessel of it. The things that have happened in my life, they've happened to everybody else. The transitions that people go through, what you said is real about mental wellness earlier. Yeah, that's why I'm a transition expert. People say, well, aren't you a life coach? 
yeah, but I'm a life coach for, for winners. And they're like, wait. Yeah, what I mean by that is winners go through transitions and sometimes they don't know how to say it. Maybe they're ashamed to say it. Maybe they're, right? And sometimes the transitions aren't even your fault. It happens, right? Like uh, you got to, you might have to um, take care of something or get put into something that wasn't your fault. And then now you're in transition. And when you have your life squared away, or if you didn't have your life exactly the way you want it squared away, then people call me and I help them see how to leverage it into their next best story. How do you take the thing that's the worst thing in your life and transform it into one of the greatest opportunities? I would use your story as an example. I'm sorry about your mother's passing. And then so proud of what you've done with the opportunity that it presented to you because you went on and made your book and you fought hard for your own mental wellness. And then now you're taking that same vehicle, the, the thing that it started as a painful thing, and you're using it to bring joy and to bring help into other people's lives. That's all I do. Mm-hmm. So that gives me a, a great amount of joy. And at the end of the day, if I was to lay in my grave today, I feel, I guess, proud or gratified about being a warrior. That's great. And it's interesting, the more I'm involved with sports and athletics and personally and as a spectator, I realize that sports has a unifying fact, even though say we might have different political affiliations, we're different races, different genders, but it's like we come together with this common goal. And I went to camp a couple of weeks ago and it was only two minorities out of say 30 people, 20, 30 people. And everyone was just so nice from like the Kono, the the championship triathletes to the person who had done their first race. It was just so inviting and unifying. And that's one thing I love about sports because I would have never met so many people that are in my life if it had not been for sports. I met my wife skiing. I, I meet the most. I met you skiing. I meet the most people skiing on the chairlift. Uh, they've casual conversation or whatever. And the unifying thing is that we're out enjoying the outdoors and doing what we love. So I like it. Once again, here comes that smile again because that's liberation in my world. So I've read that you have a high goal for next season. Can you tell me about some of your, um, well, one of your goals, particularly that I read about for next season? Yeah. As we finish up this season, it's my first season living up here by snow bass. And so today I just completed day 96. Of ski. And so on Friday, the CEO of SkiCo and the CEO of Challenge Aspen, our adaptive, SkiCo's adaptive arm out here in Snowmass, and the media and their DEI director and a bunch of other people. So we're all going to go and hike up Highland, Aspen Highlands Bowl and then ski down. I'm going to hike up. Okay. That's challenging. And so that's how I want to commemorate my 100, 100 days here. That's for this season. You think that'd be solid, right? Yeah, it's solid. I did. We did. Um, I guess at Summit we did this um, vertical challenge or uphill, and I think it maybe it was less than a mile, and I was worn out. I was like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you know, on a, on a day, a vertical challenge day, um, I did one, and I did forty three thousand vertical feet in a day. And so that's how I generally, like how you see me ski, that's how I ski. I slow down when I ski with other people so that I can kind of hang around them. But how you see me ski is generally by myself, generally fast, I'm generally jumping and bumping. So that brings us to next year. This year, in 2022, in November, I'll be 55 years old. I know, that's dope, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll also be my fifth season of skiing. That's a bunch of fives. So I don't know. I think it was day 50-something I was skiing. I was like, you know what I should do? I should do a backflip. Okay. And so then I started thinking about it a little bit. And I said it out loud. And that's generally my, after that, it goes from there. And then I was like, I should do a backflip for access. I should do backflips to further this conversation. I should do backflips to illustrate the barriers that we face. And also show how we can destroy them. And the biggest barrier generally starts right here. 
what people's perception is of what we can do with an ability or disability needs to be radically shaped. I can do that. I call it backwards cracks. So you're going to do it in November? When are you, early season or? I'm going to do it early season. I'm, so what I'm doing now, you keep seeing me rub my shoulder. I've been jumping and I had a couple mis, mishaps along the way. And so part of what I'm doing is I'm looking for sponsors and people to help film the process. Okay. So how do you start if you're 54 years old to go do a backflip on ski? So I'm a pretty good ski. We got that. So now I'm taking ski lessons, additional ski lessons. I had one yesterday. Um, signing up for the gym for trampolines and then foam pits. And then after that, we've got to get out of airbag. And so all these things have to occur in the off season. And then along the way, there's likely to be some strife. One thing that I think we do is between Instagrams and whatever medias or whatever we're into is we like to demonstrate ourselves or present ourselves as being picture perfect all the time. I'm a hoss, but at the same time, I have some mishaps. I have some spills and I have some things that are barriers that I still get to work through. Well, people don't get to see that behind the scenes portion. And that's the part that I want to spend as much time cultivating as anything else. The backflip, I'll do it. Like if I say I'm going to do something, I just go do it. Mm-hmm. The struggle, the journey. And it's a great opportunity for me as a motivator, as a life coach, a transition expert, a motivational speaker to use my own content and live it in front of people out loud and show them how it, by doing my own thing, not only do I accomplish my own personal goals to meet my core needs, and that also I'm able to provide service to the community while you're watching I appreciate you for sharing it because a lot of times on social media, people want to show the best and don't want to show any negative. And it seems sometimes it seems fake and everybody goes through struggles. I think you learn in your struggles and your low times. It's the it's the failures that cause you to succeed oftentimes. So I feel that being transparent and real is more beneficial for people than just showing the good times. And I feel that as well. Um, I, I need people to know it's okay to fall down. I don't care how many times you fall down. I fall down all the time. What I care about is how many times you get up. What I care about is if you've done your three rules, my three rules are simply this. No lies, no excuses, and never quit. And the way I've come by them is it's been interesting. My, my no lies rule was probably a very... One of my most painful stories. I'll tell you real quick. When I was 12 years old, I was standing in the courtroom. My biological mom, my stepdad, the guy she married, and my little brother were sitting in the courtroom too. For the past weeks, I had been in foster care. Mm-hmm. Sitting here, my mom got up in front of the judge and said, You take him. I don't want him. I've never wanted him. He's ruining my life. Mm-hmm. And when I stood there and I heard that, oh, I felt like the whole, my entire world was spinning. And I remember my tears were huge. They were hot. They were burning my face. And I walked out and I was looking outside the building of the Grand Forks Court, uh, the kind of social services building. And I looked by the fire escape. And there's only three floors. And Dr. Brown, at this moment, when you talk about the dark place, I'm 12. Mm-hmm. And I'm confronted with how desperately I want the pain to end and also knowing that with what I've already lived through at age 12, this three floors ain't going to do anything but hurt me. It was that time my adoptive mother spun me around and she's told me these words and it changed my entire perspective on life. She said, Tony, I heard what they said to you and I know what they've done, done to you. And she said, for that, I'm so sorry. But I got to tell you something. Life is not fair. Mm -hmm. Life is not fair. So what they've done to you is not fair. However, the good news is, I'm like, yes, whether you are or are not those things from now on, from this day, is now entirely up to you. Mm -hmm. That was the most honest and real thing anyone ever said to me. And so from that day to this day, I believe in no lies. 
and not so much that I don't tell lies. Like, where were you after work? Oh, I, I was a little bit. I, I don't Easter Bunny or whatever. I don't. I don't know about that stuff. What I'm saying, I don't lie to myself, and so mm-hmm. the no lie thing allows you to begin to find your own direction and your own peace. Tell yourself the truth. Even if it, if you don't think it's positive or even if you don't think it puts you in the best light, tell yourself truth mm-hmm. and then keep your word to yourself. And that's what No Lies is about. Okay. That's powerful. A powerful story. No excuses. It's more about, more about kind of how you and I are, are driven. This is about my foster dad. His name is Big John. I was the oldest of seven kids. Over 28 years, I think they had 23 foster children. My parents and John, one thing that's interesting, even with seven kids, each of us would have sworn we were the only kid. He was mm-hmm. to our needs and to whatever we were into. He was into. And so it was pretty amazing. But further, Dr. Brown, what I noticed is like people, the neighbors and local people always came to my dad stuff like my water heater's broken oh i got one over right like it's just crazy stuff and he always was able to help and one day we were standing there and someone asked him how the phone rang or something someone needed something i hung up and i said hey what's up with that Mm -hmm. what i said that i said everyone's always asking you for stuff he goes oh that i'm like what huh oh that he goes i said tell me in life you should cheat and this is the most honest man I ever knew. He said you should cheat. I, now he's got me. What? What? <laughs> he said, Tony, start with what you love. You become so good at it that nobody else can do it better than you. He said, by the time you do that two or three times, you will really be able to help people. And he said, you won't have to look for them. They'll always come look for you. And that has been my mantra about getting better in pursuit of expertise in my life and always advancing the ball is there's no excuses. Whatever happened yesterday is yesterday. Today is fresh day. Being of service to someone and doing it through the thing that I love the most. I'm cheating. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's why make it hard when you can make it easy. Like, do you run without music? I do sometimes. Oh my gosh. I, sometimes I listen to podcasts, actually. Um, sometimes music. Sometimes I just like to just hear the wind and, the, you know, my thoughts and <laughs> for no, short ma'am. runs. No, no, ma'am. I'm glad I only have one leg right now. I, I just got to tell you. And, and so stuff like that, I feel like why make things that are inherently going to be a challenge any more difficult? So I have music. I have water. I have the newest shoes or the lightest earphones or whatever. Because if I'm going to do something that I know that's inherently arduous, I don't want it to have the opportunity to maybe penetrate, right? In my mind, I don't want I don't want it to get in my head and then crap me out. Because like if you do, especially longer distance triathlons, it's not allowed for safety. So to get used to it, I just sometimes I don't run with um, music. And sometimes it, if I'm running with someone, I want to talk to them. So it depends on the, the day and like how far I have to run and what's going on. No, I hear you. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm a slow twitch. I mean, a fast twist muscle guy. I'm a sprinter. I'll jump over a box four or five times and I'm good. I'm getting in the car. Uh, you might run faster than me, but I'll probably run longer. That's right. That's right. And that brings us right around to my last rule. Never quit. It is truly a marathon life. It is. So on Never Quit, I can mic drop you. I've had 74 surgeries, but it ain't over yet. It's not over. And so what you said, um, and it's, it's interesting because in life, I feel like the run was really hard on me. It was arduous on me. I didn't prefer it. So sometimes life can be hard on you and arduous and you may not prefer the way it is. And so my, my, uh, parallel about music or about water or about new shoes or whatever it is, use your previous experiences to help you decide how you want to make your next moves and don't suffer. Whatever you do can to alleviate your own suffering, do that first. You're not no one cares if you're a martyr, by the way. No one cares if you suffer more than I do in this lifetime. Nope. No one cares. No one cares how hard it is until you over 
overcome the hardship and done something spectacular. That's when people care how hard it is. Mm-hmm. So that's what the never quit is about. Because when you're passionate and people around you, they get intoxicated with that. They are just consumed with it. That's true. So true. <laughs> My easy rules are no lies, no excuses, and never quit. And I'm going to apply them to doing backward or accident. Well, I can't wait to see that. I can't wait to see that. I might do it at the 50th Brotherhood Summit in Vail. Yeah, the summit in Vail. Yeah, I might do it there. Yeah, I'll be there, God willing. <laughs> Every year since 2002 minus maybe six years, maybe. I should be skiing down the mountain like crazy. That was one of my questions. Um, with all of your intense skiing, do you ever, in the back of your mind, have a fear of injuring yourself? When you fall, I'm injured right now. Like I'm, I'm actually see me the whole time touching my shoulder and stuff. And I've got um, a few more days to meeting my goal. And I have media around it. I have all this other stuff. The truth of the matter is, skiing on one leg at the level that I ski, I likely can't do that forever. So, while I can, while my skiing is getting better, my age is also going up. So this is the opportunity for me where they kind of meet that that sweet spot where I'm still young enough and athletic enough that I can do the things I want with my body. And likely this might be the, you know, this might be toward the end of it. As I look forward, I can I can sit in the sit ski. And I'll be, oof, I'm afraid of that a little bit. But I feel like I'd be too fast in those things. Mm-hmm. Understanding that my ability to do this forever may change. And so I'm open to that. Part of my podcast is to feature guests who have overcome obstacles to make it to their finish line. You talked about a lot of obstacles that you've overcome, but I don't know if you want to share another obstacle, whether it be related to skiing, life, or any other endeavor that you've had to overcome. Thank you. The obstacles of life. And first of all, I'll tell you that uh, the things that people, when they view my life, there's a lot of articles and stuff like it's easy to research me yeah yeah people have this opinion or they have this um they express this narrative that it's been a difficult or a challenging life for me and as a man that's been blown up by a bomb and like a abused kid that was put in adoption to a different race where i am now as i look back i don't know what i could change or what would the things that are considered obstacles were pivotal points. They were the catalyst to the next thing that happened, or they were the reason why I was able to whatever. And so I will tell you that I am very, very grateful for the access I've had as a veteran. I have been able to leverage that ride to get most of the things done, including skiing. Like the VA paid for my ski lessons at Eldora. And then um, their investment is probably... They probably got a couple hundred thousand dollars in me between the camps I got, I've gone to and the lessons I took. I took lessons for three years straight, every every week. And if they had someone called in or whatever, I, I, I'll be up there. I'll be right there. And so having access to those kind of that kind of instruction, the mountain, a cheap uh, lift ticket or, or a season pass, a military season pass, all these things help give me the access to be able to do be successful at the endeavors that I have on. And so in terms of opportunities or obstacles, I don't know, getting your leg blown off is could be a pain. But I think the the thing that I would leave you with is how everything that someone else would think is an obstacle, I looked at as another old word, as an opportunity. If you could go back and talk to your younger self and give yourself advice, what words of advice would you give yourself as a young Tony? Oh my gosh, young Tony. I would tell uh, young Tony, like I would tell every young person I meet, I tell them save their money and live now. Like I, nobody knows the day. I, I know a lot of people that are quadriplegics and wheelchair bound forever and other disabilities and blind and, and other things that they face, like mobility challenges and, and other things that they didn't have at a young age, that they become onset through an accident or a trauma or whatever else. And no one, as I talk to all of them, 
knew the date ahead of time, nor did I. Mm-hmm. So my point is live now with what you have to the fullest. Good words of advice. I wish I would have listened to it for my younger self. I think we always are, we don't live in the moment. We always thinking about the past or the future. And sometimes it's, it's hard to enjoy the, the now. And that's what you have is the now. It's not the destination. And so that's the thing. Um, when we talked about being multitaskers and being taskmasters and being very goal oriented, yeah, that makes you very destination oriented. Then uh, one time that was, it, it was an opportunity. I went on vacation with my family and I got destination depression. So that was another blessing in my life. It's like, what? Okay. And it's not accomplishing all the stuff. It's doing what you really love to do. And then you will accomplish everything, right? And after you are working your passion, it'll dictate what you do next. Any last minute words of advice for my listeners? I, first of all, I really like to thank you for having me on. Um, had a great time chatting with you today. And I would tell my, my listeners, your listeners, um, the audience today, simply my three rules. I use it as a litmus, whatever the obstacle, whatever the opportunity is, what is my truth? What do I really want or not want? That's where I got to start there. Otherwise, I can't. I feel like everything else is, is house of cards built on glass. But if I know my truth, I want to do this because blah, 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 or I don't want to do this because blah, blah, blah. Everything else after that gets easier. And the next thing is no excuses. Like, if this is my truth, I don't want to have to justify why, and I don't have to explain it to you or anyone else. If I say I'm going to accomplish something, I need to do whatever I can to myself to keep my word to myself. That's more important than accomplish the goal. Did I do the steps that I thought that it took to get to the goal? Then if I did it, I don't care about the goal. And the last thing is if I didn't hit that goal and I did the steps the best I could, even if I did the steps crummy, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to regroup and do it again because I'm not going to quit. I'm going to find another way to approach it until I get it turned over how I need it. Well, thanks again for joining me today. I was inspired. Ah, thank you. Hopefully you're motivated and influenced too. I love it. That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, Please email Run It Is Cheaper Than Therapy, OLB, Omaha Love Brown. Again, that's Run It Is Cheaper Than Therapy, Omaha Love Brown at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. OUI Life, OUI Love. Thank you, and please tune in again. <laughs>